Hi, I'm Gigi, and this is Driven Minds, a Type 7 podcast. In this series, we talk to our cultural heroes and hear their stories, tips, and tricks as to how they turn their mental struggles into mental strengths. It's probably safe to say that most of you listening have weathered heartbreak in some form or another, and that is the theme of today's episode. Our guest is the singer-songwriter Licky Lee, who's devoted four albums to exploring heartbreak, with a fifth on the same theme coming out later this year. I remember the first time I heard her music, back in 2011. She had this huge hit called I Follow Rivers, and it was the track of the year. It was also my go-to floor filler when I first started out as a DJ. Since then, Licky has collaborated with everyone from Kanye West to U2 and has even taken a stab at acting, most notably as Ryan Gosling's love interest in a Terrence Malick film. But the incredible thing about Licky is that she's accomplished all of this while simultaneously dealing with depression that first began when she was just six years old. Licky and I get pretty real on this episode. Wait, I'm like talking so openly about everything. Is that normal? Well, if it's not, then it should be. Whether you're having a day or not, talking openly is clinically proven to make you happier and it's free. So when you're done listening to this episode, call a friend, a family member, really anyone who listens. I promise it is worth it and you will feel better afterwards. When I spoke to Licky, it was a dreary January afternoon. She was at her home in Los Angeles, and I was a grown woman at my parents' house in New York City. So, here it is, my conversation with Licky Lee. Like, I've always been trying to, like, get through my suffering and control, so I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to do yoga. So I started, like, Ashtanga yoga in India and just, like, pushed my, like, oh, and, like, it was so painful, and... And then when you do, when they're like, okay, now's the meditation, I would get such anger. I'm like, I hate this fucking shit. Like, I hate yoga. Oh, you know, and then I would try again. Like, I would get so angry because I could not, I could not relax. Like, I could not meditate. Yeah, I, and I so relate to the being on your yoga mat. And after you had like a hot, sweaty session, you're feeling good. They're like, okay, just feel the the touch of your calf on the mat and you're just like what this is boring I want to get out you yeah. know I'm like the first one to jump up and leave and there is something really anxiety inducing about not feeling able to relax oh my god completely yeah and you know I think I've, I've had a really you know I went to like 11 different schools like my whole life has just been one big like bouncing around all I wanted was just like relax and I could never find that I could never feel at home I could never feel at peace I could never just be um so when I started the meditation I also I was on tour when I started so I remember I had to fly to Australia and I was sitting like it was some big festival like I was sitting in like some tent backstage hearing like EDM and usually that would just like drive me insane and I was just like sitting there meditating and there were so many cheesy thoughts that came to me that it's like yeah like everything you need is right here like (laughs) here I am like you know finally there's a beauty to that when you when you realize that yeah 
And then it was also so good for my writing. Like I could, I would write like crazy after meditation. Usually I could only finish a song, like a sentence here and there. But after really getting into meditation, I would finish a song like in one stream, one go. Wow. Yeah. When did you start using meditation to write songs? Uh, I never learn. Okay. So you've had a, uh, an album basically that yeah. the songs birth from meditation. Yeah, but also from a breakup, but <laughs> yeah. So, but here's my question is that you, you must have a relationship before the breakup. So do you just write during the breakup? Cause something happy must have had to happen in order for the breakup part to have. Oh yeah, of course. But I definitely do not write when I'm happy. Like when you're happy in love, your soul just like, you know, traveling and mm-hmm. drinking wine and sleeping and having breakfast in bed. Like, no. Then I just in the cocoon phase. It's funny. A friend once said to me, if someone read our diaries, you know, the people that keep diaries, they'd think that we lived the most miserable lives because the times that we write yeah. are always, you know, to, to get something out as a way of, you know, flushing emotions out of your system. But when we're happy – we're kind of just in our own world and yeah like there's there's no need to like get anything out or like be creative or yeah something like that but it's interesting to me as well because you said that now you're in the happiest place that you've ever been in yeah so how did this album come to fruition oh, if you no, were so no, no, happy no. i'm happy now <laughs> actually this album was okay. one of the worst things i've ever been through everything combined yeah do you want to no. talk about that? <laughs> You'll yeah. hear the album. Yeah. It's interesting to me because I was thinking about this when I was um, listening to your interviews and whatnot. Because every album is about heartbreak. And then I started thinking about my, my own heartbreak. And I've realized that since I was like seven or seven, since I was in seventh grade, I was 13 when I remember the first guy that broke up with me. Yeah. His name was Ross Cohen and we were at a bat mitzvah and it was fucking awful. And that feeling that I felt when he looked at me and was like, I don't want to be with you anymore. That exact same feeling I felt as a probably emotionally unavailable teenager. Yeah. It's the exact same feeling I felt every single heartbreak, no matter if it was a three-month relationship or like a four-year relationship, it's that exact same feeling for me. Like that feeling of heartbreak is different from anything else in the world. So for me, I've realized that it actually doesn't change and I fear it so much. Yeah. You know, like that is, it's the worst feeling in the world. And I'm wondering if it's the same for you, like if it's the same kind of like sinking in your gut, like can't eat, can't sleep, can't think that replays over time for sure but i think what's interesting is there's like a million ways to break your heart because it's not only that someone doesn't and that's you know something i've experienced in my albums too like it's from different angles maybe you know some of it was the other person didn't but then i've also been the one to leave and that also breaks your heart as well um I don't know if it's because, you know, it goes back to like all of our childhood wounds or if it's actually, you know, like our heart is such a fragile, vulnerable, delicate thing. So anytime you, you bring it out, it it hurts. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I totally agree. My, my last relationship, I left, and that was the one that I don't even know if I'm over it now, yeah. to, be, to be honest, and that was over a year ago. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter who leaves. I just feel like it's the same sinking feeling. Yeah, it's physical. You know? But I also yeah. some – I mean, when I'm like a little bit over it, um, then I'm also grateful that you get to experience – it because you have such a perspective on all of a sudden you know all the songs are speaking to you all the literature all the movies like you're so hyper aware and receptive to art and and even like the cinema of life everything could be a movie mm-hmm. scene so it's also beautiful but painful feeling and like even now that I'm like over something I'm like oh maybe I'm I'll never feel that again and and for sure I'll be like probably thankful that it happened so many times that it led me to like do such deep work and essentially like make a career out of it it's kind of crazy what's so interesting about you is that the theme of this podcast is that struggle and success are not mutually exclusive, right? So, so many creators still do what they do in spite of whatever mental struggles they have, be it confidence or depression or OCD or whatnot, whatever it is they weather mentally. But with you, your struggle seems to fuel your work. So it's really fascinating to me that because all of your music is about struggle and heartbreak and it almost seems that it has to come from this place of struggle in order to exist rather than being something that you overcome for sure I overcome it through working and like Mm. that gives me fire but then I think there's that's like motion and energy but then there's a backside to that as well where for sure I I struggle with you know just depression complete just like what the fuck is the point of all this when I'm not working and that's something that I am that I've had for a long time that it's like so up and down and then um now I'm not touring anymore but you'd be on tour and then like such a post tour depression where you just don't like okay so this world like people just go to the store and like then you go do you like how do you like I'm I'm I want the the highs and the mega and all of that all the time so how can you just somehow be happy when your life is on like a slow burn when was the first time you remember feeling depression I think pretty early I mean it's pretty tragic but I had this like deep sadness like real deep sadness from like a really early stage like six you know and then it's been coming and going yeah it actually um i'm the happiest i've ever been in my whole life right now um which is kind of amazing but also like damn (laughs) I'm like in my mid thirties, you know, I, I didn't have that. Like, yeah, you know how some people are like, ah, oh, it was, remember it was so fun when we were like in college. 
I'm like, oh my God, I was so, I didn't go to college and I was also so depressed. Yeah. I totally hear you. Yeah. Um, I have the exact same college thing as well when everyone's like, oh, remember those nights going out? I'm like, I was crying in a library, so. Yeah. Can't relate. I would go out and I, like, all my, my little, you know, my girlfriends in Sweden, they were all like, you know, so beautiful and so funny. And like, we, we were this kind of like little clique and we had all, we had all like fake IDs and we would go out to like clubs when we were like 15 and be kind of like cool. And I would just stand in the corner and like hate. I'm like, I hate this fucking <laughs> shit. Like, every, I hate it. You know, like, I'd be out and just have the worst time, basically. Quickly back to your, um, the idea of depression from such a young age. When you were first told the name for it, right? That, like, whatever you're experiencing right now has the name. Did that help you? No, because I feel like I never really fit into, like, the depression category either because when I would be, like, read about depression, it's like, you can't get out of bed, you're just, like, da-da-da, and I would be, like, you know, like, touring the world and, like, get up in the morning and just, like, oh, you know, so maybe, like, anxiety. I don't know what. It was, like, sadness and anxiety. Like, I couldn't really fit in with, like, depression that you just don't do anything. I... I've always worked really hard to try to feel better, but then with not mm-hmm. like that great results. So maybe that's just anxiety. <laughs> We're still trying to find my diagnoses. Yeah. I hear you. I mean, I have so many thoughts on diagnoses. I think on one hand, they can be life-saving and incredibly helpful for people to know yeah. that their mental struggle is recognized by the medical world yeah. and that it has a name and that there are solutions. But I think in some cases, diagnoses can be more harmful than they are helpful because we see medical professionals just diagnosing people way too flippantly without really taking the time to understand the person individually because our struggles just do not look the same by virtue of being human. So someone's depression rarely looks like another person's depression, and it's hard to just stamp a label on it and say, okay, same option of seven pills. Yeah, and then you realize, too, like, doing the work that I'm doing now on myself, like, yeah, that sadness was something real. It was, like, post-generational something, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. I'm going to sound like so hippie and out there, but like <laughs> we do come into this world. You know, I see my son like he's he can't he's totally his own thing. But, you know, he came from my lineage and like definitely a part of like my psyche and how I am is going to get transferred onto him. And that's just how it works. So whatever you have in your lineage gets lineage um, gets gets passed down and you know you can come into the world and just a little blue Mm -hmm. because maybe you're on the path to and then I became you know a songwriter because of it Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that I would have I don't think I would have written songs if I wasn't so depressed (laughs) or whatever it's called yeah interesting yeah I mean I I find it nothing short of amazing that you write while you're in these mental spaces. Like when I'm in mine and I'm experiencing high anxiety or, you know, a panic attack or whatnot, like 
I am either horizontal doing nothing or vertical and barely making my way through the room. Yeah. So it's amazing to me that, that this is when you thrive the most. Is there anything that you do to get out of that headspace or do you just kind of accept it and it depends you know if I commit to like usually because I'm just finishing an album right like it's I've written it so it's done to me like that phase is done and now I don't write at all so I go in in phases where like if I kind of like open the door and I like Mm -hmm. ah okay it's like I'm untangling a mystery within myself. Like I want to know what the fuck happened. So then I go really deep into that situation and it's like, Oh, okay. And then that happened. And then I'm "Mm, okay. I'm done. That was that album, that story, that chapter. And then I turned the page and now it's been a bit anticlimactic. Cause I'm like, okay, now usually it's like, okay, let's go tour the world. And like, but now I'm just like stuck here. (laughs) (laughs) so I've had like definitely like some deep depressions in the pandemic but I think it's been really interesting because you have to confront like you really have to confront who you are and like there's nothing else now so this might be the end or maybe not but then you know how are we gonna just get through this mentally and you know you really start believing all the like Ramdas and all of that, that it's really, you know, your mind. That's it. Curious to go back to your insomnia because uh-huh. that, I think, I feel like everyone right now is is struggling from sleep issues. Yeah. I've always struggled with sleeping. What did that look like for you and how do you think that that was brought on? Because it's interesting that it was a later in life event, right? Yeah, well, I think it definitely was... I mean, I'm just a very sensitive person. I think I'm kind of like a little baby in a way. Like, I do well, like, going to bed really early and, like, being cozy and, like, tucked in and, like, here's your oatmeal. Like, you know, I'm kind of like a really boring person. And then it's just, like, thrown, like, the shows are so late, you're flying. So, like, I would kind of constantly just, like, miss my window of sleep. And then after I was on stage, there was like no way that I could calm down from, from the adrenaline. Um, and then of course, like, you know, maybe you drink, you do all kinds of stuff. So like I was just spinning. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it just got worse and worse and worse. And then at one point when I would be touring, I would, I would go for days without sleeping. And then that kind of puts you in I mean, a complete panic mode as well. Cause then you're like, Oh my God, I'm performing tomorrow. Like I'm going to lose my voice. Like, and then you're just in that wheel. So then I kind of, it, I was like, before I played New York on my last show, um, I hadn't slept for days and I was like, this is New York. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. This dem- like actual days. Like there were days, like 48 hours. Period oh yeah. That you just did not yeah. sleep. So then, you know, I was like, okay, they had some doctor and then they're like, okay, just take like, you know, a clonopin. Like I've never taken anything. And then I took that and I was like, oh, great. So then kind of like by accident, I started taking clonopin for sleeping. And then 
that had a whole like I'm so against that type of stuff. Like I don't even take Advil. Like in my whole life, I don't take the flu shot. I've never taken antibiotics in my whole life. And all of a sudden, I'm like popping a clot here and there. And I'm like, what the fuck? And that fucked me up for like a while where like I couldn't sleep without it. So that took a long time to like retrain my brain. And I had to do hypnotherapy and really like get off everything. No coffee, no wine, no this. Like really go into like you know, I put the like blue blockers on and just like pray. And then <laughs> I have been sleeping, which has been such a miracle for me. Wait, I'm like talking so openly about everything. Is that normal? First of all, it is normal. And second of all, I had the, I'm laughing because I had the exact same experience to the T. I couldn't sleep and I was given clonopin, yeah. which you hear about, right? It's like clonopin is being the you know it's a benzo and all this i mean to say it has bad press is an understatement and all of a sudden i'm like i also was i could not sleep without clonopin yeah. and i don't understand how people take it in the morning no i i actually i was really angry because i'm like no one really explained to me what this was Same. and like the side Same. effects and how addictive it is and it's real because I would have never gotten it. in Sweden. They do not give you that. They're just like, well, you just have to exercise a little more, you know. Um, yeah, it's super American. So that was really insane to me. And I've also been speaking to friends who, you know, have other drug addictions, and like, it, it's, it, clonopin can be harder to get off than like other. Totally. You know, it, it's really, really bad. And now I will not do anything. Like I won't nothing now i'm kind of like if i don't sleep i just like no one day i will sleep i will not ever do any of that stuff again so no melatonin no 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 like i'm just like whatever if i don't sleep like i'll just watch something yeah Mm -hmm. and then you're fine going you know a day in here like I think too, what is scary about insomnia, like you, you panic and you cling on to like, I'm not sleeping. I'm not mm-hmm. sleeping. Like, so then that becomes some self-fulfilling prophecy. So I think what I do now, if I don't sleep, I don't even, it's like, whatever. Don't attach totally. to it. Yeah. The anxiety. Yeah. About not sleeping is worse oh, than yeah. not sleeping. Yeah. It's horrible. <laughs> I also had really bad side effects from clonopin. I started disassociating. So like I didn't feel like I was of this world. Yeah, me too. It, I would always be like, was, what? <laughs> same. Yeah. Same. And I, it was just this, and it, it was cyclical because then I'd, I'd, I'd feel after, after taking clonopin, I'd wake up the next day and feel I hadn't slept. Yeah. Even though I, I had. Know. And I was like, oh, I really got to sleep tonight. And I feel and like I'd you get more anxiety. And I kind of have this like chemical Same. taste in my body. And I'm such a, like, mm-hmm. I love, you know, natural. I was like, ooh, who am I? Mm-hmm. And then I watched some, some like someone did like a YouTube tutorial about like how to get off. And she was like, it took me nine and a months. And I was like, I dumped that shit in the toilet. And I just like, okay, ciao. This whole prescribing culture of i mean it's such an epidemic how you know you you prescribe like a painkiller for a broken arm and then all of a sudden you're like addicted to opioids and oxycodone yeah i have so many friends that went down this hole because like in america 
we just give out anything. I remember going to Italy with my ex-boyfriend and I needed to get something there that they had given me like oh, it was over the counter in the states and the pharmacist was like ma'am you need a like a hospital grade prescription for yeah. this and I was like yeah I didn't friends of mine like why don't you just take antidepressants when I'm like depressed you know and I'm just like I don't want to I am really curious because I know people it really helps people but there's a part of me that's really reluctant I took them for OCD, like SSRIs and stuff yeah. that's used for that. And it did nothing for me. The first time I actually felt good was after 12 years when I went off of them myself, you know, because there's something – I don't know. I mean, obviously, they're really beneficial for a lot of people. Yeah. But I think the only way to move through discomfort and pain is to actually feel it. Yeah, me too. I have this, like – I'm still, like, thinking that I can, like, kind of solve <laughs> – whatever issue I have and I'm like one day will just like be a really like happy content person but it seems like you're already there yeah I mean let's see how I feel tomorrow even it's like you know <laughs> it, it goes up and down but um one day at a time I'm, I'm working on it you've always been so vulnerable pretty much I mean even from your first album yeah when you were so open about heartbreak and what you were going through and was it scary opening up for the first time in any way and kind of putting yourself out there essentially to be judged I really don't do it for other people but then for sure it's been like I remember like when I first started when you're like kind of googling you're like oh what do they think of me you know and people be like what the <laughs> fuck happened with her teeth and like someone would be like she looks like someone just like took a piece of wood and just like smacked her in the face you know or like oh my God, <laughs> people say awful shit. and I was like oh you know or they would like comment that I had like such like baby cheeks and you know things that are really like that's not the things that you feel insecure about and I, it, it's that side is hard and even how I view myself, like that's, if we're going to go into like the whole just being judged for how you look as a woman, that's something that I struggle with a lot. Yeah. Even with myself, I judge myself like every day because I'm, I don't think I'm as pretty as X, Y, and Z. And like, can I even, sh you know, yeah, that's something that I, I want to somehow like start a discussion about that because it's so trapping how much time mm -hmm. we as women have to think about that and then also, you know, aging in general. Like, how are we supposed to tackle that? In what way? Just like, okay, cool. So, like, I just started feeling better. Like, I'm not super depressed. But now I'm, like, an aging woman instead, you know? Um, and how how is that going to evolve? And, like, how are we going to feel... And no, it's a horrible thing. And like everything that's, you know, the standard of today where everyone's so altered. Like, I think it's really trippy, that whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I think the reason why we feel this way about aging is because the dialogue that has been built around aging is inherently against aging itself, right? Oh, yeah. Like the even the idea of like an anti-aging cream and, you know, youth serum and all of these, even these beauty products that are marketed towards women by men, 
telling us that aging is bad and we should fight it with every ounce of our being and every dollar that we have is so detrimental to our psyche and hinders our ability to feel good about getting older and good about, you know, entering a next stage of our lives in which we are so much wiser than we were in our 20s. It's really difficult. And I think too, you know, I, I mean, we all, we, you, I love beauty in general in life. Like I love, you know, making my house nice and having flowers and, and of course, like I look at images and photography and I can, and I can, you know, beautiful women. I'm like, wow, she's so beautiful. And of course you like want to be that, you know? So how do you, like, that's something that I try to like manage myself. Like I'm not like some crazy beauty, you know? Um, and how do you, well, to you. feel? To me, and probably, you know, it's been established, you know, otherwise I think there would have been different scenarios, like that that's just how it is, that beauty, just pure, plain beauty can open certain doors and blah, 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 and that's been so fascinating to me, and how, as women, when, like, beauty has such high value, how can you feel value if you don't identify with, with that? Or you don't feel it reflected back to you or anything like that. I really, that's an, something that I'm always curious about. Yeah, it's a hard one, especially because it doesn't really seem that beauty is actually in the eye of the beholder, but rather something that's dictated to us by media and men that lay the yeah. groundwork for what we should consider beautiful. And it is our jobs to live up to their construction, you know, yeah. which is total horseshit. Well, everything is horse shit. I mean, so is like money and like, I agree. Like anything we believe in. You know what I mean? I do. I do. But in terms of your career, I mean, I mean, there are so many powerhouse women that aren't the Rihannas and Lady Gagas of the world. Like even Patti Smith, who had, you know, a more underground career, or Debbie Harry, who started at like 30, I think. She even broke in at 30. And I mean, I feel like if you just kind of keep doing it, I mean, I'm saying this from someone not in the music industry, but, you know, I mean, you do see examples of women that are still doing it and doing yeah. it well. Oh, yeah. No, I, I'm not talking about when I speak about beauty, I'm not necessarily relating it back to my career. I think the beauty thing is more just being a woman in the world. Like in yeah. my career, I'm like, fuck that shit. Like the most important thing mm -hmm. is just to like, do the work and I feel super inspired to just like keep going but it's just I think this is a more like universal thing we're just like we as women especially now with like Instagram we're all just like looking at like beautiful things and people and mirroring it back to ourselves yeah and the point of comparisons that you know, we, we take from Instagram. I mean, I think it's the most, it's the most toxic thing out there. Yeah. But, um, but what's interesting to me about women also in aging, and this is one thing that I know you've grappled with, with is the idea of motherhood mm -hmm. because our bodies do have a time limit. I mean, I went to my gynecologist earlier this week and she asked me, if I wanted to freeze my eggs and I was like, holy shit, I'm at that 
age marker that I never thought I would actually reach because it seems so far away. And like the idea of a mother was just this prominent figure that had her shit together. And I feel like I'm so far from that. And I was like, oh, my God, I actually have to think about this part. And I realized just how many preconceived notions that I and I'm sure every woman has about motherhood, whether or not you want kids. Yeah. And I'm curious for you what parts of what you thought motherhood would be like ring true mm-hmm. and which ones haven't? Well, I was kind of obsessed with the idea of having kids because I really, really thought that I would not have them because, you know, um, that, you know, I'm like, oh, I guess I'm like on this path now, just like being, you know, an artist and like independent woman and I guess you you know the whole thing of just like being a woman is like you can't have it all like okay got it you know so I was like for sure it's not gonna happen so like I would spend years just like being super sad like when I was like 26 that I was like never gonna have kids you know why because I just like thought that it would never happen for me and like my choices in life and And then I also had put my body in a lot of, like, stress. So, actually, like, I wasn't on my cycle either because I was just traveling around. So, I was, like, super sad about it. And then... How scary is it to lose your period? Yeah. That also happened to me during Oh, I have that, like, not anymore, but before all the time. It would be gone for, like, two years. Um, Same. Yeah, when I was on tour. And then, I guess when it happened, it kind of happened... (laughs) you know like a little miracle or faster like whoa okay um so then I just went with that and then it was really nothing like I thought it would be um it is it is the craziest most like brutal riveting like my like what the fuck you know just happened um and I definitely thought that in the beginning you would just like wake up and just like cry tears of joy every day because like you're a mother and like, oh my God. And the first period is just brutal. Like you're in so much pain and you have no idea what you're doing and like sleeping and all of that. And then I was kind of really confused because I was like, wait, I'm supposed to just like not like I'm supposed to be a new person I'm supposed to be an angel you know with like like just like like an actual angel yeah and I was kind of the same and and then it's it's like more of a parallel life like you're you are who you are and then you have this child that's like um something completely different And, and even now like mine and Dion's relationship now he's going to be five is like it's just like any other relationship it's like it evolves and it just gets stronger and like now I'm like in my prime I feel like especially spending so much time together in the quarantine where I'm like I like love him so much but it's a pain in the ass (laughs) on the daily chaos like chaos you know you know, but again, back to the back to the four albums. It's it's still it's interesting to me still that they're all about heartbreak. And I'm curious what it is about heartbreak in general. 
that cuts so much to the core that you've made four albums about it? Five. <laughs> There's going to be one more. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm in deep therapy now, like trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Like, I'm, you know, 35 and this is my fifth album and somehow, like, it's always about this and it seems like that's, you know, I've truly been heartbroken like five times, you know, for sure. Each one of those albums is a great love and thing of mine. And, you know, I'm starting to sound like I get it's a bit embarrassing because I, I suppose people are like, yeah, we were together for like 25 years, you know, I wasn't. Um, I'm going to work on that. <laughs> Start, starting now but that's just kind of like that was my journey and that's what happened and and I hope it's not going to happen so many times more yeah I mean you know it seems like the the healing space is something that we also I feel like we have to be ready for it because there is something comforting about visiting a space even if it is something that is heart-wrenching or net or you know quote unquote negative like heartbreak there's something comfortable about about that though because you know it Mm, it's still for me it's like it's always new and it's always like a whole different Mm. hole and like fresh like it's kind of like damn I didn't see that one coming you know the (laughs) only thing I can say that has comforted me a little bit is now I know like that actually time heals and like you will when it's happened a few times you understand that like you will get over it but you will also be someone new and you'll also never have what you had you know so there's like a sadness in that too Mm -hmm. you know and now I have no idea what's gonna happen maybe that'll never happen again and like all I will have is these fucking like albums to be like, yeah, once upon a time, you know, this happened. I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. Self-love. What What does that look like for you, self-love? Like, what Dude, does your if someone care? said like self-love to me like a year ago, I would like punch them in the face. <laughs> it was the same thing as like yoga. I'd be like so angry. Um because I think I had so much self-hatred. I'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, I really did not understand the concept of self-love. And um, I've slowed, but I've done so much work on it. Like so much work on it where I've been like, oof, not like resisting it. Like work as in therapy or work? Yeah, work, or all the work, work in therapy. And just, like, trying to – and now I guess it, it really is just working through all that shit, all, all that pain, yeah. and then really trying to, like, go back to your kind of, like, inner child and, like, love that person and see how, like – just try to love that person and then also understand how so many things that happen – weren't your fault and it's not because you're a fucking idiot or you're ugly or you're unlovable you're not you know like to really embrace but it's it's, I don't know this is like I mean this is so hard to describe right but I'm trying to just like just be okay with like yeah this is 
who I am and this is what I need and accepting that like, yeah, I love going to bed at 9.30, so what? You know? If there's something that you know now that could have gotten you through your harder times when you were younger, when you were trying to make it, and if you told yourself right now, what would that, what do you wish you knew when you were younger? It would be all that stuff when someone's like, time heals. Like when and you're, when you're in the wrong place, you don't hear it. So it's like, you can't really mm-hmm. tell anyone anything when they're not in a place <laughs> to hear it. So you just have to really like, uh, I think it's a lot about like, especially when you're struggling in your career, but you still kind of have that feeling that like, no, I'm like, it can maybe happen. And I don't know if that's like hope or determination or intuition, but like, if you feel that, then just like fucking keep going, you know, like keep going. It will happen if you feel that strongly for it. One final question. Mm -hmm. What drives you? Just like, um, I'm like hungry, you know, for, for life. I want to take big bites. And like, whenever I just get that feeling of like excitement or like new, or like when I think about an idea that I don't really understand, like that is challenging to me. And I feel like I'm pushing myself um i think that's what drives me just like the lust for life that my friends was my conversation with licky lee you can follow her at licky lee and me at gillian sagansky you can always dm me with comments and questions and i will answer if you're liking this podcast do us a solid and click subscribe Our next guest will leave you absolutely shooketh. Until next time.